And now there's more. Turn your, take your Bibles and turn to Acts 16. Acts 16 is where we're going to spend some time today. Uh, this, for, this opening illustration is brought to you by Pastor Brad. Pastor Brad, when you need to talk about football. About seven years ago, the Colts and Patriots uh, were playing. And uh, at, that, at that particular time, the Colts uh, were getting their lunch eaten by the Patriots. And so going into the game, they decided... Uh, that our strategy is don't give Tom Brady the ball. If you give Tom Brady the ball, bad things are going to happen for us. So they devised a special trick play, which has gone down in history so far to be, to date, the worst play ever executed in the NFL. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about it. So if they, the, here was the plan. If they ever got themselves in a fourth down situation, they would execute this play very rapidly so that they could try to catch New England, substituting their players to get off of the regular uh, you know, defensive team and get the special teams, the punt return team. They were gonna do this play really fast and snap the ball to try to catch them with too many men on the field. Then they get a penalty, they get extra yardage and a first down. That was the plan. The formation looks something like this, which you, know, you, you can't really see, but at the top of the screen, there's one guy with the football and the quarterback is behind him, and the rest of the offensive line is at the other end of the field. This is not a typical football formation for those of you that don't watch football. This looks like suicide, right, is what this looks like. <laughs> I would like to ask the deacons to take that person's name down. Okay, all right, I see how this day's going to go right now. Anyway. Here's the deal. They had to execute this play so quickly. So the deal was, as soon as the quarterback steps up under center and the center field quarterback's hands snap the ball, snap the ball. Well, here's the problem. The problem was, though that play worked so well in practice all week, the center got sick right before the game, and they had to go with the backup center. The center is the guy that snaps the ball. The center is a very diligent student of the playbook and read this play in the playbook and said, okay, Here's what the playbook says. As soon as I feel the hands of the quarterback, snap the ball. We've got to catch it with too many men on the field. But knowing that New England, the New England Patriots, were a very smart team, the coach had a side conversation with the quarterback on the sidelines and said, if we get ourselves in a fourth down situation and we're going to execute this crazy play, and it looks like New England is not going to have too many men on the field, then I want, what I want you to do in that situation is just, you know, bark out orders, try to draw them off sides, but under no circumstances, under no circumstances, snap the ball. We'll take a delay of game, five-yard penalty, and still be able to kick the ball away. So do that. The only problem was nobody told the snapper. Nobody told the guy snapping the ball. So the ensuing play looked something like this. What in the world? Flag is down. They snapped the ball, and yeah, it's an instantly a disaster. Now, it doesn't show this in the video, but the, the center gets up, and the quarterback looks at him like, what are you doing snapping that ball? And the center goes, that's what the playbook says. The playbook says to snap the ball. Well, this was a disastrous play, and like I said, so far it's gone and down as the worst play in NFL history. Now, I bring this up to say this. What we're going to be talking about today in the book of Acts is a scenario in which 
Satan, I believe, is running the same plays over and over again in this world, right? The evil one, our adversary, is running the same plays over and over again. And he's been running them. You're going to recognize the play that I'm going to show you today as a play that's going on right now today in 2023. But as we're going to read in the book of Acts, this has been going on since the apostles walked on the face of the earth. And so we're going to talk about this play. And the way this sermon is going to break down is we're going to, there's two elements of the play we're going to look at. And then there's two kind of ways that we can counter it. But before we do that, let's go ahead and read the text. Acts 16, beginning in verse 16. Just follow along in your Bible. Acts 16, 16. They're in Philippi, right? As, they were, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But her owner saw that their hope of gain was gone. And they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They, are ad they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Roman citizens to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them gave, and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights, called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire house, household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to you, sent to let you go. Therefore, come now, come out now, and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do not now, and, and do now they throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. 
The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid because they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Lots, lots here to cover in a short amount of time, but let's get going. The big question that we're going to wrestle with today is this. What is a, very, what is a common tactic Satan uses to try to bring God's work on earth to a halt, to a stop? What's a very common tactic? We see that tactic played out over and over and over again, and it's played out in the words of this text. And here it is. Play element number one. There's two of them. Play element number one. We live in a world that prioritizes money above individual well-being. If we read verses 16 to 18, we read that uh, this girl, this slave girl, first of all, she was a slave. She was a possession of these men. And second of all, that she had an evil spirit. Uh, She was possessed by a demon. She had a spirit of divination. But that spirit of divination was lucrative. It made them money because she could tell fortunes. Now, I don't want to take a whole bunch of time to revisit the doctrine of demons. Demons are fallen angels who are not like God. They, they, they are not um, all-powerful. They're not all-present. They're not all-knowing. But what demons can do is they can observe us and observe the world, and then they can, you know, in this girl, they're manifesting themselves as uh, being able to tell a fortune. This demon is manifesting itself in her by being able to tell fortunes. When really probably what's going on is that demon is making observations around and, um, and then telling people things uh, that only a demon could know. Anyway, I, just, I, I point this out to say that there are many examples of, of this kind of thinking in the world that we live in. Um, and fortune telling is just one of them. So w- fortune telling is a modern day phenomenon. If you open up the newspaper, there are horoscopes. Uh, There are local businesses in the greater Delaware area that claim that they can read your palm or do tarot card reading or some other type of fortune telling. Now, I don't know how lucrative that business is today, probably not very, but there are still people attempting to make money off of this kind of behavior, which the Bible forbids in Deuteronomy 18 and other places. We are told not to listen to fortune telling. King Saul, King Saul consulted, uh, in the Old Testament, King Saul consulted the witch of Endor. And there's a little tag, after King Saul died, he fell on his sword. After King Saul died, there's a little tag after that that says something to the effect that one of the reasons why God allowed him to die was that he had consulted the, uh, uh, a fortune teller, consulted the witch of Endor. Now listen. God has given us his word, and he wants us to listen to him, not to these other sources, many of whom are going to be lying to you, right? They're going to be lying to you. And so fortune-telling is just one example, but there are many others. Gambling is an example where uh, we, we have accepted in this country and in this state, we have accepted this idea that we can put our hard-earned money down on a bet and make money from that, knowing that gambling addiction and and gambling problems 
cause all kinds of turmoil within families and communities. Uh, just recently, I saw on some, uh, I think, TV commercials or something, that they've got big-name celebrities that are touting that sports betting has come to Ohio. I'll catch a big show, right? And, oh, look, according to this ad, you've been given $200 in free credit. Now, I promise you this. They're, they're math wizards, right? And they're experts in human psychology. You know you're going to blow through that $200 really quick because you, you didn't have it to begin with. And then you're going to start dipping into your own bank account. And their math wizards are going to know that the house always wins. They're going to set the programs up. They're going to set all this up, so set the odds up so that they win. Make no mistake. But still, we do it. Uh, pornography. Who benefits from pornography? What, 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 what human being have you ever met that said, you know, gee whiz, I'm glad I've engaged in that? Or what... Uh, person who participated in the production of it looks back years later and says, I'm so glad that I made that a big part of my life. Nobody. It does great damage to marriages, families, men and women. And yet, it's a multi-billion dollar industry in this country. And when you go to try to oppose it, good luck. Because somebody's going to be funneling money to someone in leadership, someone in power, someone in authority to stop you in your tracks. War. War is often a profiteering exercise. I don't know what's going on between Russia and Ukraine because I don't trust the media that I'm listening to most of the time. I do feel sympathy and, and a heartache for the Ukrainian people that are displaced and those that have lost family members. And we've attempted in some small ways to try to funnel resources through churches who have connections with Ukraine and to try to help the people out directly. There's a big movement afoot right now on drugs, especially psych psychedelic drugs, mind-altering drugs. There are, there are uh, famous people and movie stars that are, that are pushing the idea that you, can, you really can't have an expanded mind, you really can't fully understand this universe until you take a trip on one of these drugs. Don't you believe it. What has God said? Do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Medical industry, the medical industry, uh, right now we're stuck in a, in a period of, of, of our time where abortion industry is a big industry, gender affirming care is coming online as a big industry, and it's just, it's, it's getting crazy. There's lots of money to be made by pushing ideas that are, in the end, harmful to people. And we just need to follow the money to see it, right? Follow the money. First Timothy 6.10 says, the love of money, not money, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And through this craving, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You can become so fixated on money that you forget about what God has said. You can be so filled with the love of money that you're willing to pierce yourself through with many pangs. That word pangs means mental pain or distress. And if we were to go back and go through the list that I just gave you, people relying on fortune tellers, people involved in gambling, pornography, war profiteering, recreational drugs, or uh, illicit medical procedures, many of us either know directly or we have a friend or we can at least tell you of stories that we've heard of people who have encountered great mental pain or distress 
as a result of involving themselves in these activities. And because the money becomes so great, because the, the industries that spin up as a result of these activities become so huge, they're able to pay for influence and for protection against folks like us that would rise up and say, you know, we need to not have that as part of our society. There will be heavy resistance met. Which leads me to play element number two, which we see in the text. Play element number two, worldly reaction to helping people move toward God often goes too far. I'm going to have to explain this one just a little bit. Look at what we see in verses 19. This is the reaction uh, to Paul and Silas, simply, Paul simply casting this demon out of this girl, which would be best for her. It's best, I, I don't know if you know, it's best not to be demon-possessed, all things being equal. Wouldn't it be great if we could all just not be demon-possessed? So Paul cast this demon out of this girl, and look at what the reaction is, verse 19. But when her owner saw that the hope of gain was gone, their lucrative money source is gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. That's true. They are disturbing our city. I don't know about that. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Well, maybe. And the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So what I'm saying is, is that often, what, what I'm saying by this point, play element number two is, once someone moves against that effort to prioritize money over individual well-being, once someone moves against that or does something against that, or today's culture even speaks against that, the other side comes unglued to the point where they often go too far. They, they shut down all reason and are acting completely on emotion. Let's take a look at what happened in this text. First of all, you see the mob mentality, right? These men drag Paul and Silas into the marketplace, and they start making all these charges. And then it said, verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off of them. Now, I just want to point to, to this because it's an important reality. Paul and Silas are both Roman citizens. There's, there are certain rights afforded to a Roman citizen, not, not like a slave or anybody. They're Roman citizens, and Philippi is a Roman colony. There's a whole system of due process and laws that must be followed in this case, and all of that gets chucked out the window because the crowd goes into mob emotional overreaction mode because of what these two businessmen said upon losing their source of income. They, t they tell lies. And here, I, I don't know that these are, are direct lies, but they are over-exaggerations of what's happening. Paul and Silas have come into this town. They, they've simply existed in the town. And, and on the weekend, they went out to the river to meet anybody who might be praying and worshiping God. And they start to minister to them. Lydia, you know, we covered that last time we were in Acts. So is it true that they're, they're upsetting the whole city? 
I don't know about that. It seems like an over, uh, an overreaction. It seems like an exaggeration. Do you ever see that happen today? Where somebody gets irritated with people that are trying to push back against the flow of the culture just a little bit and say, I don't think that's right. I don't think that we ought to be living that way. And then all of a sudden it's, you're a hater. You're, uh, you're uh, um, a homophobe. You're a this. You're a that. It's like, whoa, I thought we were just discussing this one issue. So there's lies, things being blown out of proportion. There's no due process, right? Again, there's Roman citizens. They're supposed to be a system of due process that go through. No, the leaders come up, they rip the clothes off of them and start beating them. And then they, and then they throw them in jail, but they just don't throw them in any jail. They throw them in the high security section of the jail. That's what the inner jail is. And they put their feet in stocks. My mind goes to when um, law enforcement is transporting a high-risk um, a criminal from jail to jail. You know, they, they put a chain around their waist and they handcuff their arms to that chain and then they put uh, chains across their feet and maybe even a muzzle on their face so they can't spit and they can't bite and, and they're transported like this. They're in the high security. What have they done? They cast the demon out of a girl, which was good for her. If you don't see the parallels between what's going on in this text and what's happening in this world today right now, it's vivid. It's vivid. How many Christians have stood up and said, you know, can we talk about the definition of marriage? Can we talk about the, different, the definition of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman? Oh my goodness, you people are so stuck in the past. You're, you're, you're haters. You're, you're anti this, you're anti that. No, actually, we love everybody. We just want to operate our lives in the truth. This is the play. So how do we... What are some things we see in the text to go against it? Well, defeating the play element number one is this. God can't be stopped. We lose sight of this reality far too often, brothers and sisters. And we try to, in our own human effort, do what only God can do. Look at what it says in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, I don't know about you. That is not my typical reaction to getting dragged into the marketplace, having my clothes tore off my body, and getting very painfully beaten. I'm guessing that they had open sores, open, uh, open skin, open flesh on their backs. They're in the stocks in the high security section of the prison. And their reaction is that they're praying and singing hymns to God. The prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. My mind runs to Turkey and Syria where these great earthquakes just happened. And because of the subpar building codes in Turkey and Syria, a lot of those multi-level buildings pancaked and killed many people. They just came down and, and flattened. And I got to imagine that the building codes in ancient Philippi were not as good as Turkey. 
So I ask you this, what kind of earthquake is it that shakes the foundations of the prison but only opens all the doors and loosens all the bonds? That's a God earthquake, okay? I mean, <laughs> that's, that's only something that God can do. And that's what happened. When the, prison, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Let me back up just a quick second. Paul, God's people were filled with joy and praise. And why is that? It's because Paul and Silas understood God's sovereignty. What is God's sovereignty? It's the idea that God is in control of everything all the time. And that if God had allowed them to be placed in that jail, beaten and placed in that jail, then that God had, then they knew that God had a good reason and a purpose for that. Because God doesn't do anything without a reason and a purpose. So even after they have been put in jail, even after, after they have been a, a, you know, thrown in jail for doing something presumably good for a girl, casting out a demon, even after being beaten and even after being put in high security, they rejoice. <clears throat> God's uh, Psalm 100 is a really good illustration of that. I'm not going to read it right now because we're going to run out of time, but uh, Psalm 100 is something that you can read. Uh, God is so good. Second, uh, the second bullet point we see is that God's power will not be stopped. God's power will not be stopped. This earthquake can only be explained by God, the reality that God is doing it. At that moment where Paul and Silas are in prison singing, at that moment when it looks like the, the work of God is going to be halted right there in Philippi, God brought a earthquake just like he did with Daniel. Daniel in the lion's dead. Daniel in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fiery furnace. Things that we humanly believe are impossible are no problem for God. And that's why Daniel says words like Daniel 4.35. No one can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? He does according to his will. God wanted Paul and Silas in that prison, and then he wanted them out of that prison. We don't know why. But that's what, that's what he did. The next observation I made is this, is that God's people don't operate, in this, uh, operate the same way as worldly people. God's people don't operate the same way as the worldly people. A worldly person would say, ah, there's been an earthquake. My bombs are off. The doors are open. Let's get out of here. But they don't do that. I don't know why. I don't know why they're sitting in prison singing and praying the way they are after having been beaten. But because they understand God's sovereignty and because they understand that God is using them, even when it doesn't look like he is, they are liberated to live differently. And brothers and sisters, we ought to as well. Galatians 5, 19 to 23 describes the works of the flesh. It's all the stuff that is messing the world up. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, all this stuff. But then it turns and it talks about, Paul in Galatians talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What would the world be like today if every single human being manifested that? Now, the third thing, the, the next observation I want to make is this, is that God is able to save. God is able to save. I want you to think about this jailer. This jailer, I don't know if he participated in the beating of Paul and Silas. The, the text doesn't tell us that. Se- seems like they beat him first, and then they turned him over to the jailer. But this jailer is participating in and, and going along with this world system of Okay, well, the magistrates told me to put him in jail. I'm putting him in jail. I don't know what the charges are, and I don't care. My job is to hold these people in this prison. But here's the problem. The earthquake comes. The earthquake comes, and he, in his mind, knowing that the doors are open and the bonds have been released, this jailer is thinking that everybody's gone. And if everybody's gone, his life is over, because that's the penalty for being a jailer and having all of your prisoners go free. The, the, the powers that be will kill you for that. There is no, well, there was an earthquake, so I didn't have to. There's none of that. So this jailer is confronting something that I find that very few people on this earth actually confront, and that is their mortality. The jailer is confronted with the fact that he is going to die. And his first reaction is, well, if I'm going to die anyway, I might as well just kill myself. But then, miraculously, because God's people don't operate the same way as everybody else, Paul says, hey, 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 don't hurt yourself. We're all here. And when he goes in there, he so, he so understands that he was a dead man a minute, a second ago. A few seconds ago, he was a dead man But now that he sees that all the prisoners are there, he knows that his life has been given back to him. And he must have put two and two together and and said, okay, wait a minute. This is, this this Paul and Silas guy, these Paul and Silas guys, these guys that are representing God, these guys that are representing Jesus, there must be something to this. And so he asks them, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. What does that word believe mean? It's the word, it's it's analogous to the word faith, and it means knowledge. You have to know who Jesus is and what he came on this earth to accomplish. Assent means you have to believe that it's true. And trust, meaning that you've got to put the weight of your life on that. You've got to put the weight of your life on Jesus. To believe is not just to think in your mind, oh, that's true. It's knowledge, assent, and trust. And that's what he did. Now, look at what happens. Look at what happens with this jailer. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Now, look what happens to this jailer. This jailer immediately begins to produce fruit. God is God's ability to produce fruit from dead ground. You can go to Ezekiel 37 and you can read about the valley of dry bones and how God raised those bones and reassembled them back into skeletons and put sinews and muscles and flesh on those bones. God is able to resurrect people from the dead. And that's exactly what he did to this jailer. 
this jailer that a minute ago had these guys in jail in the stocks is now washing their wounds. This jailer who once had them in the high security section of the prison now has them sitting with him in his home at his table serving them food, not as a jailer-prisoner relationship, but as a brother in Christ to another brother in Christ relationship. It changes everything about this man. And not only that, where he was once filled with fear that he was going to die and was ready to kill himself, verse 34 tells us that he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. God cannot be stopped. God's will cannot be thwarted. We forget that. But it's true. This brings me to my last point, defeating the play element number two which is this, in the long run, God is vindicated and the way of the world looks foolish. Now, I'm not going to lie. This part of the text is probably the most entertaining part of the entire text because Paul and Silas are being absolutely savage. I love it. I, I love 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven, where it says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Oh my goodness. The world thinks it's one. They've got Paul and Silas all beaten up and thrown into jail. But look what happens. Look what happens. Let me read it to you. But when, when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. I don't know why they decided to do that. I thought, maybe they thought, you know... They've probably learned their lesson. We beat them up real good. They lived through an earthquake. Let's just get them out of town. They probably won't ever come back to Philippi again. Let's just let them go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They've beaten us publicly, uncondemned, Men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, and now they want to throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. You see, these, these worldly men who were so amped up and emotional about the fact that they had been drugged into the marketplace and they were accused of all these things, there was all this fake news surrounding them, you know, and all this kind of stuff, and, and they were so sure of themselves that they, that they had the right guys and that they were going to do the right thing by punishing these guys, they practiced ready, fire, aim. They overreacted to the situation. And they just found out that Paul and Silas, because they didn't follow due, practice or due process earlier, they are now finding out for the first time that they are Roman citizens, that Philippi is a Roman colony, and that they have violated every law on their books. And if that news gets to a higher up, someone above them, they're dead. They're dead. The leaders, the magistrates of that city are dead for what they did to a Roman citizen, beating them without pro uh, taking them through due process of law. And Paul and, Sil Paul and Silas know this, and they use it. I love it. 
So what's it say? So the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they had heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and took them out and asked them to leave the city. Here's the savage part. Paul and Silas don't go, okay, well, thanks for the apology. We'll be on our way now. Now they go visit Lydia and the brothers. They're like, we'll leave when we're ready. You messed up. You did this all wrong. Now the shoe's on the other foot. We're going to do, we're going to go visit Lydia and we're going to go visit the brothers and then we will depart, which is what they did. Now, one of the things, I just got to be honest with you, uh, there's a lot of things going on in this world, a lot of canceling, a lot of degrading of Christians and all this kind of stuff. When I say that in the long run, God is vindicated and the way of the world looks foolish, I'm not saying that it's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not saying that everything that's going on in our culture today is going to get reversed tomorrow. It may, it may not get reversed before we die and go to be with the Lord. But in the long run, this nonsense that's going on, this, these worldly tactics that are being employed, this satanic play that's being run over and over again won't hold up. And it will appear as what it is, which is foolishness. This is important to know because some Christians wanting to be in tune with the culture or wanting to not be ostracized will go along with the flow of the culture for a time, hoping that they can gain a voice and to be relevant to the culture around them. That's a huge mistake. Our job is clear, is that we do God's business God's way. And that's one of the tactical errors I see Christians make all the time is they try to do God's business the world's way. Oh, this group got very emotional and overreacted towards Christians? Great, then we as Christians will get really irrational and we'll overreact towards them. That's not who we are. And that's not how we act. We act in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Because that, is, that, my friends, is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Not to be confused with the works of the flesh. So then, what's the answer to the question? What tactic does Satan often use to stop the work of God? It's this. Satan deploys the toxic mix of the love of money combined with emotional overreaction in an attempt to stop or halt the work of God. This is why God has told us to be free of such things. Free of what things? Free of the love of money. That's one of the things that we are commanded to do in Scripture. I, I don't know about you, but I look up at these banners often, and I see that we're supposed to love God, love others, and make disciples. And I wonder how many times in my own life the love of money stops me from that enterprise. Brothers and sisters, the love of money doesn't make the top three of our priorities. We are to love God, love others, and make disciples. And what, I, what, I, what we're also supposed to be free of is emotional overreaction. In other words, we are to live lives where we start with facts and we interpret those through our faith and then we allow our feelings to operate properly upon our understanding of the facts and through the lens of our faith, then we have feelings. We are not to reverse that train and put emotion at the front 
of the train. We are to be living lives of peacefulness as much as it depends on us and self-control. So, here's some possible applications for us today as we depart. Number one, understand this dynamic. Understand that un, you've got to understand this play if you're going to stop it, right? It's just like fo- in football. Football players watch the opposing team's film over and over again to see what plays they execute so that they can defend that play. Well, if you don't understand that, the, the way of the world is always going to prioritize the love of money over the individual's well-being. And if you don't understand that, if you try to go against that flow, you're going to get met with emotional overreaction from the other side. Then it's going to be very difficult for you to operate in this world. So you've got to understand. You've got to understand the satanic play. It's very important. By the way, it's the same play they ran on Jesus. Right? What did he do wrong? What did he do to earn crucifixion? Nothing. But what was done to the crowd? They were whipped up by the Sadducees and the Pharisees into an emotional fervor so that a man that they welcomed into their city a few days earlier saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That very same man that they took off their cloaks and laid down in the path so that he could walk, the donkey that he was riding could walk over them. A few days later, they were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas, crucify him. It's the same exact play. Jesus was a threat to the Sadducees' control of the temple and the Pharisees' control of the synagogue. Secondly, in the long run, God wins. You have to adopt this as your mentality. If you've never read the book of Revelation, I have people ask me all the time, when are you going to preach through the book of Revelation? When are you going to preach through the book of Revelation? And I always tell them the same thing. book of Revelation is easy to preach through. Uh, In the end, God wins, and you want to be on his side. That's the book of Revelation. Now, eventually, I'll get to it. But right now, here's what you need to know. In the end, God wins. It's going to be real bad for the other team, so you want to be on his side. And then third and finally, because number two is true, therefore be bold to speak the truth. Notice I didn't say be a jerk. Be obnoxious. But be, to be bold. When, when you are told that up is down and right is wrong, you are to, be, to represent Christ in full self-control and with all decorum and dignity to say, excuse me, that's not right. This is what is true. And then wait for the playbook to be executed on you. (laughs) Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that you've given us to sit together, to fellowship together around your word, to, to witness these baptisms. We pray for Mark and Blaine as they continue to walk with you in their lives, that you would fill them with your spirit and bless them as they go. Thank you for the example that they've been to this body today. Father, I pray uh, that if anyone in this room has not yet, like the Philippian jailer, had the occasion to contemplate eternity, to contemplate what is going to happen to me when this life is over, to contemplate 
the ways of this world compared to the ways of your son, Jesus Christ, that they would do so. And in doing that contemplation, come to an understanding that Jesus is our Savior from sin and the Lord of our lives, meaning that the way he tells us to live is good and right and healthy and a blessing to those around us and that they would choose to live for Jesus, to walk in his ways, to make him their Savior and Lord. Father, for those of us that already know you through your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray that we would understand this way of the world that is illustrated in Acts 16, and we would be ready to encounter it constructively and on mission. And we ask for your help in this, in Jesus' name, amen.